All right, welcome everyone online. You here at the 9 a.m. service, you smart people that come early to church and come for the best, and then the first fruits of God's gospel ministry here at New Life. Thank you. We want to welcome uh, Pastor Ryan, a faithful servant of the Lord who invests a lot of time in Lloyd Minister. Thank you. Good to have you here. Ryan, we honor you and your wife and the investment you made in our city, and we thank you for your, for your ministry, and it's blessed our church as well, and so we just want to welcome, welcome Pastor Ryan here this morning. Would you, would you, I mean, faithful servant of the Lord, and so um, the text here, I did not pick it knowing you were coming, but just so you know, I says, I'm not picking on Pastor Ryan or any of you, because the text today addresses a situation we all find ourselves in. You know when you get to that place in life where you and this is, I'm speaking probably 30 and up, but even the young people, I think, can relate to this, where you start to feel like this is not where I thought I would be. As I hit my 25, 30th birthday, 35th birthday, 40th birthday, 50th, whatever number that is, you, you thought as a young person, as a teenager, as, as a college student, or whatever it was, this is where I'll be when I get to this place. And then you get there, and you find out the circumstances are not what you thought they would be. And along the journey, some things have happened to you. Some financial setbacks. Some unexplained health phenomena, unemployment, relational breakup. Your kids did things you never dreamed they would do. And you sit there and you think, why is this happening to me now? And you're ready to get the band together to start your pity party song. You're ready to pull out the victim card and say, my life is just one bad thing after another, and I, what can I do? I've just been dealt a bad hand. Everyone else got, you know, the, the royal flush, and I've got, you know, this mixed group of two and threes in my hand. What can I do with this? And then we start feeling sorry for ourselves, and we get, we grind our momentum grinds to a halt, and then we just begin to look at all the bad stuff and just the cloud. We're kind of like Pigpen and Charlie Brown. The cloud kind of follows us everywhere we go, and you think, oh, man, life is bad, life is bad, life is bad. And then you encounter a text like Philippians 1, and you're like, who is this guy? Probably incarcerated for over five years. A prominent leader in the early church stuck imprisoned in Rome, waiting as the, as the slow bureaucracy of the Roman Empire waits for his opportunity to bring his case before the, the court. And he's wondering, there's people that need to hear the gospel. There's churches I need to encourage. And I'm stuck here in Rome. Opportunities for ministry would have abounded for the Apostle Paul had he been free. But here he is stuck in Rome. Not only that, there seems to be some local guys that are causing him some grief in ministry. I mean, he didn't plant the church in Rome. He had written a letter to Rome, but he shows up there, and his imprisonment has, has caused some, some, some ripple effect in the Roman church. And so, so, so even, even in Rome, he, some people aren't happy he's there, but, and, and, and then his churches are wondering what's happening to him. People are sending him support, like the Philippians, the Macedonians, and, 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 and he's sitting there wondering, what is life all about? I'm supposed to be going to Spain. 
I'm, I'm going to stop at Nice on the way. I'm going to hit Barcelona. I'm going to hit Alicante. You know, I'm going to, you know, he's like, I've got all these plans and here I am. Chained to a Roman prisoner. But his response is different. He's got something that brings out this positivity. And it's not just positive thinking. It's way more than that. It's not just having the right attitude so you can gain the right altitude. It's not that. I mean, that's, that's a component of it, but it's deeper than that. It's secret sauce. What is the secret sauce? Paul's going to tell you. How do you get to the next level of living where all the garbage and the flack of life doesn't stick to you? How? Well, we're going to find out today in Philippians 1, verses 12 to 26. You see there in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance. Oh, no, sorry, we need 112. Oh, well, we'll just take that off, sorry. Um, we're going to get to there in a couple of weeks, but that's not yet. 112. That my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel. That the things that have happened are actually turning out to bring the good news of Jesus to more people. That's what it's all about. The word advance describes the uh, army engineers that would go ahead and, and prepare for the army that was coming behind. You know, the guys that would build bridges and knock down trees and, and widen the roads so that the troops could progress. He's like, this is actually making blazing trails for the gospel. Things are, good things are happening here. Even though he's stuck in jail, he's imprisoned, he's not able to move, the, the slow wheels of bureaucracy and judiciary structures and systems are just barely moving. Paul's case is not a high-priority case in the empire. But he's like, guess what? Good things are happening. Things are advancing. Even in spite of the circumstances that I find myself in. The word advance also is a nautical term. It means to make headway into the wind. I mean, some of you spend time on the lake in the summer. You understand this. If you're a sailor or if you've just got a little fishing boat or a canoeer, when you're pushing into the wind, it's tough. But he's like, guess what? Even though the wind is blowing in my face, we're moving forward. We're advancing. I couldn't help but think about our last season of life in Canada. And so I'm not making a political statement, but I, want to, I just want to bring light to a situation where, where the gospel was advanced. Um, Pastor Tim Stevens was in court last week, and he wrote a little report on, on what happened. He's from Calgary, Fairview Church. Um, he's standing trial against two charges about violations for contravening physical distance rules. Other uh, four charges were dropped. He says this, two bylaw officers testified first. Oh, he said, no, sorry. So I'm just going to read you. I just want you to hear the, just the way he describes what's happening. The trial went well. In fact, it was an enjoyable experience. Two bylaw officers testified first. What was notable about their testimony was how they portrayed our congregation and interactions as welcoming, respectful, friendly, and professional. The prosecution pressed them on a number of occasions to describe our interactions and our tone. I was thanking God that it was made known how our church family acted with charity and grace towards these officers in volatile circumstances. Gospel's progressing. 
As I took the stand, I was able to explain our convictions to respect medical choices and give grace to each other's convictions during a time when families, churches, and all of society experience deep divisions. What I said on Twitter regarding vaccines and in some sermons were brought before the court. This gave me an opportunity to recap some of my teaching on Romans 13 and explain a message I preached calling resisting tyrants. I also had the opportunity to explain God's supremacy over all creation, which grounds human dignity and enshrines his law above every other law. Rather than sounding scandalous, I explain this as historic Christian teaching, as well as the conviction of our commonwealth and the founding fathers of our federation. When the prosecution began to ask my convictions regarding same-sex marriage, it became clear that we had drifted far from the Midart hand. The questions from the persecution, prosecution also provided me a chance to correct what must be con- a common misconception of the church, that a pastor rules as an authoritarian who controls every aspect of the gathering. I explained that my role as a pastor was to teach the word of God. It was the word that is the authority. I'm just the messenger. I have no authority to force behavior or compliance, regardless if it be God's law or man's law. Rather, church ministry is one not of coercion, but of persuasion, where people are convinced through the word and the power of the spirit to obey what they see in divine writ, or the God's word. In the end, as closing arguments were given, the judge seemed reasonable and thoughtful. He reserved his decision to a written response scheduled for release at the end of October. So we'll just continue to wait on the Lord, trusting that his will be done. The Lord is faithful, always has been, always will be. Any attack against the church has only served his glory and the advance of his kingdom. He is worthy. Does that sound like a guy that spent 21 days separated from his family, incarcerated with common criminals in the Alberta justice system? It sounds very Philippian. What happened has actually advanced the gospel. These lawyers, these judges, the clerks in the court are here. I'm not making a political statement. I'm just saying that that this unfortunate circumstance, this pastor and his church are like, yeah, you know what? God's good and the gospel's progressing and it's moving forward. Same thing like Paul is describing here. Bad things can actually be used for good as we focus on what God says is important to his church and to his people. I mean, I've been watching with keen interest the situation in the Ukraine because that's where my ancestors come from. And I get an email every day from Slavic Gospel which describes what's happening. Guess what? Pastors in the Ukraine are bringing the gospel to, to bombed out apartment buildings. People are living in the basement. They're bringing food. They're bringing the good news of Jesus. So in spite of all the, the horror... People are hearing the gospel in unprecedented numbers in in that whole region. So God can take even our worst situations and use them for his glory. And, and And when we understand that, it transforms our perspective on the situation. It's it's a good thing, guys, he says to them. And look in verse 13. He gets even more personal. The whole imperial guard. And everyone else knows that I'm in prison for the sake of Christ. I mean, this is the Praetorian Guard. These are the elite crack troops of the emperor, probably 7,000 to 10,000 that are stationed in Roma and throughout strategic cities in Italy. They are uh, the best of the best, probably from high-born families. They are paid double, sometimes triple, of what a normal soldier gets. They only serve 16 years instead of the regular 20 or 25 that other soldiers would have to serve. I mean, they are the crack troops. I have a picture here. 
Uh, let's see, there's one. And then the second picture here, there, there's the Praetorians fighting together. I mean, this is an elite group. The secret service of, of Rome, of the day. And he says, as these men are assigned to, to, go, to guard me and to be chained to me, I've been telling them about Jesus. And as they go out, they're telling their friends about Jesus. In fact, it's known throughout the whole guard that, that I'm here because of Christ, not because I'm a political prisoner or some you know, murderer or thief or whatever the case may be. I have one agenda. It's Christ. They're like, this guy is weird. He's not fighting Nero or, or whatever other, you know, prefect in some province of, of the Roman Empire. He's here because of Jesus Christ. Everyone knows that I'm here because of Jesus. And more than that, it says in verse 14, And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever, dare to speak the word of God fearlessly. They're seeing my example. They're seeing that I'm using this opportunity to share Christ with soldiers who are sharing Christ with other soldiers and, and people are coming to faith in Christ. And, and now the, the Roman church has this new courage in the face of potential opposition. It's probably one to two years away from the Neronian persecution of the Christians in Rome, which was horrific. But in the as they approach that awful situation, he's like, guess what? There's, there's a courage here. Uh, this is not preaching. This is, this is conversational talk. This is what happens, for instance, at Alpha, around the tables. As people discuss the video and what they're learning about Jesus, it's, it's just conversation about Jesus. People are just talking about this. They're not afraid to. I've been encouraged to speak out for Jesus because of guys like Pastor Tim and the Apostle Paul. When I see people take a stand and, and say, no, this is the gospel and we want to see the gospel continue to move forward, it encourages me and I think it encouraged others. I had one man tell me who works in the oil field, who's a missionary to the men and women that move oil across our province. He said, you know, I've had more opportunities to share Christ during COVID than any other time in my work in the oil patch. Because people are asking questions and I could talk about Jesus and say, I'm not afraid. I'm not worried. Why aren't you worried? Why aren't you afraid? Because I've got Jesus. People have this boldness, this courage to speak the word of God fearlessly. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Because, um, you know, COVID wasn't um, Canada's finest hour, but Jesus didn't social distance himself from us in that hour. He never restricted anyone from coming to him. The gospel never went into quarantine. We could keep moving forward, and we did. And churches did all across the world. And other circumstances haven't stopped the gospel. Ukrainian-Russian war can't stop the gospel. Um, the, you know, persecution of Christians doesn't stop the gospel. In fact, it emboldens them to, to be more courageous, right? I read the Open Doors report every week. It talks about Nigeria, China, places where it's really hard to be a Christian. And I'm like, man, look what they're doing. What do I face here compared to them? Zero. We're going to pray for them on November 6th as a church across the world. It's the day of prayer for the persecuted church because we need to be encouraged to, to talk about our Jesus and to, to speak about him courageously because others are doing this and, and suffering for it. Then he says in verse 15, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. 
The latter do so because they know I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. I mean, there's a group in Rome that Paul comes in, he's getting a lot of attention. They don't like it. Maybe they've got, you know, networking within the Roman government, and then this prisoner comes in, and he's kind of destroying some of those networks. Who is this guy? And, and others are, you know, trying to cause him grief. Others are, are, are trying to, you know, stick up for the Apostle Paul. It's a mess. There's this envy and jealousy. Who does this guy think he is? He's, he didn't plant this church. He's not a leader in this church. Yeah, he sent us a letter. Yeah, he's an apostle, but, but we're the leaders of this church. And let's cause him trouble. Let's, let's, let's try to just pigeonhole him there, down there in the prison. And, and Paul's like, yeah, it's a little frustrating. I'd be a little angry. But he says in verse 18, what is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. <laughs> I don't really care. I don't care that there's this crazy group of, of you know, envious ministers of the gospel. These are not heretics. These are, these, these are legitimate gospel preachers, but they're trying to cause Paul problems. And, and you know, it's funny how Christians, if, if you listen to a guy that's critical of other Christians, just understand, that's not the tone of Christ. There are some preachers that get off on just criticizing other people all the time. That's not the tone of Christ. Just preach the word, preach the truth of the word, leave other people alone. It's not the tone of Christ. If you listen to guys that are specifically critical all the time of people, that's not the tone of Christ. That's not someone who's sat at the feet of Christ and embraced the grace of Christ. But here he is, he's got these whiners around, these troublemakers, but he's like, I don't care. I just want to see Christ being proclaimed. I just want people to hear this truth. And this gives me joy. And I'm going to continue to rejoice. Again, the chains are rattling as he writes, as he's writing this or, or, or you know, uh, recording it through his, through his scribe or whatever, however he did it. I mean, I mean, he's not in a good situation, but he's rejoicing. Why? Because the, the truth about Jesus is expanding throughout Rome and throughout the Roman Empire. Do you see, are you starting to see what is it that gives him hope in this circumstance? It's this focus on Christ and the gospel. The reason I'm here is because of Christ and to help others to know Christ. And as long as those things are being met, it doesn't really matter what else is going on in my life. Who is yabbering here and who is blabbering there? It doesn't matter. Is Christ being made known? Yeah, great, then let's move forward. I rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. He says there in verse uh, 19, For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My salvation, my deliverance. Now, there's lots of questions. Well, what's he talking about? Is he going to be, you know, it's not, obviously, this is deliverance, but is, is he going to be freed from jail? Is he going to, you know, go, go to trial and die uh, the martyr's death? But he's like, whatever happens, I'm going to be delivered. He's, 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 this is a little bit of foreshadowing. No matter what happens to me in the future, it will be deliverance. If it's death, it's deliverance. If it's life, it's deliverance. Whatever happens, it doesn't matter. Why? Because Christ is in the middle of all that. But it's like through your prayers. Now, you and I would struggle with prayer, I think. 
Our church struggles with prayer. We don't know how to do prayer. Most churches don't know how to do prayer. Uh, the Korean church, if you go to Korea, they know how to do prayer. The, uh, I've been in other places where, where, you know, there's very powerful moments of prayer, but um, I wouldn't say it's a, a strong trademark of the Canadian church. should be. This is corporate prayer. This is God's people taking time out of their life to pray together. And he's like, as you do this, Philippians, this is going to help me to get out. That your prayers are effectual. In the book of Revelation, it describes the prayers of the saints as coming before the throne of God as like this, this smoke, like the Shekinah glory, like the smoke that would rise off the altar in, in the Old Testament. I mean, it's like, it's like our prayers somehow get up there. Don't know if there's been much smoke lately here. But it's like through your prayers, prayers together, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be delivered. And he says this in verse 20. My confident hope is this, that I will in no way be ashamed, but that with complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether I live or I die. And my confident hope, you could translate that, according to my eager expectation, it's literally, it's, it's the, the head that's looked forward, looking up with anticipation and expectation. I'm waiting. I've got this hope. And I'm not going to be ashamed. And I'm going to be bold. And Christ is going to be exalted no matter what happens. Live or die. This is next level living. This is next level life. This is Christian experience at the place of maturity. Uh, this is what we, we long for. I mean, usually when all of us, when we have a scare, we go to the doctor, he's like, oh, saw something, you better come back. We begin to worry, oh no, what's that going to be? And, and what's the thought? What's going to happen to my wife or my husband or my children or my grandchildren? What's Paul's thought? Are people going to hear about Christ? Is Christ going to be magnified? Am I going to be ashamed? No. He's just thinking about the spiritual matters. Oh, I can see Jesus. Bring it on. We're like, well, I still want to go see that Mayan ruins in Mexico, and, and I haven't quite had a chance to do this or do that. My bucket list hasn't been crossed off yet, Jesus. Please don't take me yet. I got, I got more living to do. And he's like, boom, 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 to see Christ, wow. To die, you know, to die, great. But to live, yeah, great too. And he says it there in verse 21. For to me, living is Christ. And dying is gain. And you'll know you've reached maturity in Christ when you can just read that and say, yeah, I get it. Yeah. The whole reason I would stay on earth is to, to, to glorify Christ, to magnify Christ, to proclaim Christ, and, and, and to die. What an awesome graduation present that is. There could be nothing more glorious than to leave this world and enter the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Living is Christ. But the challenge is to all of us, we have other things that to us is living. Okay, so I've got a few pictures here. 
Uh, the first one is this. Living is sports. Hockey, football, soccer, basketball, na- name the sport, judo, <laughs> you know, lacrosse, whatever it is. I live for that. I dream about it. I doodle on my pages in school about this. This is, and, and even for some adults, living is my kids' sports. I revolve my whole life around what they're doing. Many in Lloydminster do that. That is a, just a, a true reality. The busier kids are, the better. And you follow them around like a puppy, <laughs> Pull, you know, just pulling money out of your wallet. That's how it works, right? Paying, paying for this, paying for that, paying for this, paying for that. You know, and hopefully, maybe, I don't know why we're doing this, because everyone tells you you're supposed to do it. I mean, there's the odd kid that actually makes it somewhere, but living is sport. But you wonder, all the rest of them, is it worth it? Is it worth it when kids don't have time to play, when you can't even go on holidays because you're chasing around another tournament somewhere or another? Is it worth it? Staying in hotel rooms, splitting the family apart all the time. Is it worth it? Living is sport. Get another one. Living is, the next picture, success. I know that I've experienced life when I am successful. What is success? Like you look at a guy like Tom Brady, right? He's got all these Super Bowl rings, and, and, and you know, he's still striving, right? Well, well, he's reached the, the pinnacle of every NFL player's dream, and yet he keeps working for it. Well, well what is it? Well, obviously, it's not enough. Success. That means you've achieved a position in your job, in your career, uh, whatever that may be, but is, is living success. What about the next one? Living is looking good. <laughs> the buffer, the better. The tighter, you know, the tougher. You know, like this, this is living. I mean, and you can laugh, but I mean, there are people that spend their lives focused on this reality. Let's put more plastic in there. Let's take some amino acids. Let's take protein powder. Let's, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, they're just striving for this perfection of, of the body. This is life. Or maybe it's this one, the next picture here. <laughs> Being famous, right? You know, we all watch those when people are trying out for American Idol or Canadian Idol or Got Talent or whatever those, you know, and, and they have those like, you know, shows of the bad people, you know, like, and, and we're laughing at them, but you see, they just imagine their, their name in that star. They're not that good, but they think they're that good. Yeah, you were good in your little hometown, in your little church, you can sing on the stage, but, but you're not that good. But oh, to be famous, to, to be known like that, oh, and, of course, we watch people do the craziest, stupidest, vilest things in order to gain that. Because that, to them, is living. To be famous. Or it could be all about uh, this next one, um, power and authority, right? Living is being in control. Having the power, whether that be political or military or whatever the case may be, owning your own business and being able to call the shots, whatever it is, being in that place of power, right? I always wonder, why do people go into politics? Like, it is a crazy thing, but, but is there something about the ego that gets stoked when you are in a position of authority and power? Living is being the boss. Or living could be the next one, um, you know, 
having so many followers that you're just always busy appeasing them with new posts and, and, and you know, check marks and smiley faces and whatever else happens on those things that I don't use. But there they are, you know, this is life. I mean, the truth is, right, you watch people when they lose their phone. Like, they're freaking out. Now, this happens to me every week. I lose my phone. I'm not freaking out. My family's freaking out. Like, Dad, where's your phone? I don't know. I don't care. Like, whatever. I'll find it. Maybe if I don't, who knows? Who cares? Like, I don't care. My life is not my phone. But some of you know, right? I mean, I watch them. People pull up behind me at the stoplight, boom. And the first thing they do, boom, they hit the brake. The car is barely stopped, and they grab their phone. They're looking at it. I mean, none of you in Lloydminster are that important that you would have to immediately answer a text at a stoplight. Sorry. You're important, but not that important. No one is that important. People that are that important have their own driver. You understand this? You're not that important. I'm not that important. You can drive anywhere in this town, stop, and then text anyone, and they won't even know hardly that you missed their text or, or were stalling on their text. But for many people, that's your life. I'm sitting at the campground, beautiful Okanagan Lake. Sun is rising over the hill. There's the lake and the birds. I watch these campers get out of their tent. They go to their car, get their phone, <laughs> walk to the bathroom. <laughs> and I'm like, are you missing this? Living is this. I said it in the summer, I'll say it again. There's times I, I encourage you to go black. Just turn it off, power it off. Tell people I'm going dark for a few days. You won't be able to get a hold of me. Go hide somewhere, go fishing, go crafting, whatever you do. Just lose it for a couple of days. I dare you. But some of you can't. And you won't. Because this is life. Can you imagine actually just being present with the people in, in your house or in your dorm or wherever you live and just kind of living life with them for two full days and not having any outside interference? Wouldn't that be amazing? It's like, it's, like, it's like when the power goes out, suddenly families learn to play board games again, right? Because it's candlelight and monopoly or whatever it is, right? It's like it forces you to suddenly be present with each other. And then he says, oh, sorry, the next one here. Safety, security, and health. This is life. And in our world, this was presented as a, as a God that we could serve over the last couple of years. If only we have these things. And who can give you these things? Who gives you these things? How you responded in the last three years tells you what, who you think actually gives you these things. Who gives you these things? A guy in a Roman prison cell, chained to a Roman prison prisoner with uncertain future would tell you, Christ gives you these things. But our world will tell you you can find these things in other places. To me, living is Christ. Of course, the final to live. Say, let's say it with me. To live is Christ. What does living really look like? He says it's Jesus. And he just goes on to kind of explain his rationale and this thought. In verse 22, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean productive work for me. Yet I don't know which I prefer, for I feel torn between the two because I have a desire to, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. I mean, and that word depart is literally, it, it's a nautical term where they would, you would loosen the ropes, you know, and, and set out to sail. 
or it's, it's the idea of unyoking the oxen and, and letting them go. Uh, it's also the idea of loosening the tent pegs and pulling the ropes up. Paul's a tent maker, so maybe that's what he's thinking when he's writing that word. But it's like, I'm ready to pack up and move on. I'm ready to, to make that final sail into the sunset and the glorious presence of Christ. I, I actually want to do this. I would love to, to depart and, and leave this world. I think we all feel that sometimes. You read the news, you watch the newspaper, you look at your bank statement, you, you look at your body, your, your, your physical from the doctor, and you think, whoa, Lord, take me home. You know, and, and, and he's like, I'm ready to depart and be with Christ, which is the best thing ever. But then he says in verse 24, But it is more vital for your sake that I remain in the body or in the flesh. And since I'm sure of this, I know that I remain and continue with all of you for, your, for the sake of your progress and joy in the faith, so that what you can be proud of may increase because of me in Christ Jesus when I come back to you. He's like, the reason I'm staying is because I want to see you continue to move forward with Jesus Christ. Otherwise, I'd just rather be with him. Herbert Peeler, who was one of the, the president of Miller for many years, decades, he wrote a book on Philippians called Others. And his quote would say this, as a Christian, you cannot justify your existence here except for a life, except by a life lived for others. As a Christian, you cannot justify your existence here except by a life lived for others. Because he's like, basically, otherwise, you get saved, you might as well just, boom, you know, you know, all, you know like Star, Star Trek, just zoom, zoom you up to heaven, right? Great, God's forgiven your sins. He's brought you into his family. He's redeemed you. He's set you free. Why doesn't he just bring us to heaven? Why? Because you're, you're left here to minister to others. You want to get over your circumstances? Break all the mirrors in your house. Maybe crush the phone if you need to. Quit looking at yourself and your own circumstance, your own situation, and look outwards. Look upwards. This is how the Apostle Paul found victory in his circumstance. It wasn't about him. It was about Christ, and it was about others. So even if Nero decides to chop his head off, great, I get to be with Jesus. He, he lets him go, great, I get to minister to others. Great, great, great. Either way, God is glorified, Christ is magnified, and I'm, I'm living life at the fullest level. Why? Because it's all about Jesus Christ. Anytime anything else creeps into that perspective of living, you will have trouble in life. You will have disappointment. You will have depression. You will have disappointment. All these things. When, when you let everything else take, the, take that in your viewpoint, except for Jesus Christ, my body image, my success, my money, my needs, you know, the fact that someone hurt me somewhere along the line. You're all going to get hurt. We are all hurt. There are jerks out there. There are selfish, envious people that want to hurt you, will hurt you, and you can focus on them and carry that bitterness for the rest of your life, or you can just say, you know what, whatever. I'm focusing on Jesus. Part of growing in, in the faith is, is working through those bumps and bruises. They hurt. They leave scars. But when you get to that place of just focusing and living is Christ, all that stuff just, just falls into the shadows. 
it becomes like the chaff, you know, at the, the back end of a, of, a, of a combine, right? It's just pff, dusty stuff that blows in the wind, falls into the ground, and you never see it again because you're getting the kernel, which is Christ. Do you have that today? Are experiencing that today? Living is Christ. That's the secret sauce. Nothing secret about it. But it brings us and elevates us to a place where God wants all of us to be. Living as confident children of God. No matter what happens. Guess what? You go to the doctor, say, hey, you got cancer. A couple months, maybe a couple weeks. You're like, okay, great. Good to be with Jesus. He's like, what? Aren't you discouraged? Aren't you, aren't you disappointed? Well, I mean, obviously I'd like to stick around and encourage my kids, my grandkids, whatever it might be, my friends, you know, my Sunday school class that I teach or my youth group that I, youth that I mentor, whatever the case may be. But, but it doesn't matter if I die. Great, I'm good to be with Jesus. Awesome. The doctor's like, who is this guy? Not you. Who's this Jesus that so consumes this person that, that this horrible news doesn't drag him into the dust? Hmm. I hope this judge just wakes up at night and, and just thinks about Pastor Tim and his church and thinks, what is going on there? And so the gospel goes forth in the strangest ways. Through the difficult and hard, bad things that happen in our life, God's plan continues. Some of you have got some messy stuff in your life, some gross stuff, some unfortunate stuff, some heavy stuff. I get it. God knows that, but he's like, guess what? I can perfect my plan even through those circumstances and situations, and you can experience joy in those. Team, would you come forward? We're going to close here in a, a moment. And, uh, and the song that, that uh, the team is going to lead us in is, is In Christ Alone, My Hope is Found. And it's a good reminder, right? of the theme of Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ. And I think we almost need a daily reminder of this because there's so many distractions around us, but I'm so thankful that, that God's word just reminds us today, yeah, you know what? He will redeem your circumstances and your situation for his glory. As bad as it may feel, he will perfect that which concerns you for his glory. So trust in him. If you don't know Jesus Christ today, I encourage you to receive him. He invites you into a relationship with him and he gives you this ability to, 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 to navigate life in the, in the victorious sense. I'm speaking to you guys watching online and also to you present here. Those of you that know Christ, it's so easy to get distracted, to be a distracted driver. <laughs> To, to miss what you're supposed to be focusing on. Maybe today God's just saying, get your eyes back on the road. Get your eyes back on my son. Return to Christ. Follow me. Trust me. I got your life. I got your back. I'm carrying you. I'm lifting you. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing you through this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Would you pray with me as we close? Lord, you know there's some difficult circumstances in our body today. People came here today with heavy hearts for any number of reasons. Family situations, work situations, 
personal health situations, financial situations, um, mental health situations. There's, there's just so many, Lord. But today I pray you would give us the ability to focus on Christ, to see Christ, to experience his love, to know his power. And so that we can sing this song as we close the service just with confidence that, yes, Christ alone is my hope. And so we lay aside any of those things that we may have held to be life. We burn those idols, and when we refocus our hearts today on Christ, living or dying, this is what it means to have life. Jesus Christ. And so be glorified, Christ, as we worship you and close the service out today. We pray this in your holy name.